0: give thanks to you, O God, for providing for us your glory and your grace that calls us to yourself, that that calls us to be drawn to you, that calls us to to be attracted to you in such a way that we do want to bow before you. We do want to worship you. We We do want to surrender everything that we are and everything we have into your hands and and God it's with the understanding that you call us to let your light shine on us so that your glory might shine through us to other people that we we celebrate today in the worship of you God your name is above every name and today we want to submit and surrender totally to you And I pray you'll lead us and guide us now as we open up your Word and look into your Word and continue our worship together in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to join this morning as we do continue to worship and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. For those of you who may be here today for the first time, we have been tracking our way through what is called the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus preached that kind of laid the foundation for the rest of his ministry uh, that he would uh, flesh out and fulfill as he spent three years pouring his life into people like you and me. And so today we find ourselves again in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. You've heard it read this morning, and we're just going to walk back through and not only listen to what God has to say to us, but ponder some real-life commitments that He is leading us to make from His passage. Remember, this is a sermon Jesus preached. I'm only the messenger communicating the message that Jesus has preached for us today. Uh, We live in a stressful world. I mean, everything around us pulls us toward stress and toward weariness as we plot our way through this life. Um, there are many things that cause fear in our life today, just like it did in the first century, and many times that fear leads to stress in our life, um, living in relationship with other people, relating to other people, sometimes causes stress, uh, in our life and discomfort to our life, um. We live in an overly stimulated environment. We have social media and all those those kinds of technological things coming at us all the time and bombarding our minds, bombarding our lives with things that can cause stress in our life. So where can we find peace? Where, Where can we turn to truly find peace in the midst of this stressful environment, this stressful world, this chaotic world that we live? I saw an article this week and just want to share a few tidbits from an article entitled How to Find Inner Peace and Happiness. Now, this is from a worldly perspective. Some of these things are not bad, but just listen as I list some of the suggestions of how to find inner peace and happiness. The article focused on things like spending time in nature. Uh, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to go out, walk on the beach. I mean, that can be kind of a a, a stress relief. Uh, some of you like to go to the mountains and hang out in the mountains, camp in the mountains, that kind of thing. That There's a measure of, of stress relief that can come from that. Others suggest meditating, being grateful, taking responsibility for your actions, putting past mistakes behind. Now, here's one that I'm not real certain about, but loving yourself, I guess there has to be a right attitude about yourself in order to be at peace with yourself and not be stressed out in life. Um, Decluttering, for some people, leads to stress, uh, relief, and uh, to peace. Now again, none of these activities are bad in themselves. But when ways like these are as good as it gets, we're in trouble. We're in trouble for truly finding peace in our life. It's a giant problem when we turn to these kinds of things to find real peace. I have a friend who has uh, a hobby. He spends his hobby time uh, teaching and leading Safety Outdoor Adventure at Vanderbilt University. Now, he's an architect, and he earns a living doing architecture, but he loves the outdoors. In fact, he's come down here a couple of times uh, back in our early days at the beach and brought his kayak and going out on the ocean with his kayak and lost his glasses like within two minutes after he hit the ocean. And then the next time he came, he put a strap, and he said, I'm not going to lose my glasses this time. Two minutes after he hit those waves, flipped over that guy. This is a guy who loves outdoor adventure. But one of the first things he teaches those students, those very brilliant students at Vanderbilt University on how to survive in outdoor adventures. He he gives everybody a compass. And I was at the Gail and I were at the wedding of his son recently. And he gave everybody there one of these little compasses. And The thing about a compass is, and many of you who are adventurers know this, that a compass has an arrow on it that always points, the magnetic pull always points toward true north. And if you know where true north is, and you establish that point before you leave to go on an adventure, you can always find your way back to the point that you left from by knowing what true north is. When Jesus gave this sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was laying principles. He was laying foundations for what, for life, is our true north. And Jesus says that peace begins in three ways. Number one, when you know where you are, number two, when you know where you're going. And number three, when you know how you're going to get there and how you're going to get back. Jesus points toward knowing true inner peace. So in this stressful world that we live, there's a a great reason to follow Jesus. There's a great reason to live in the center of His plan for peace. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Jesus leads us to know where we are, to know where we're going, and to know how we're going to get there. Many of the practical examples that Jesus gave when He walked here on this earth, if you, if you continue and read through the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which show the daily activities of Jesus, you'll find that many of the activities of Jesus and many of the illustrations that Jesus gave... We're about possessions, about worldly goods, about money. And again, that's where we find ourselves this morning, because most of the stress that many people feel in life come from their view of possessions, their view of money. And Jesus knew that. So Matthew 6 is not the exception to the teaching of Jesus. It's the rule in the teaching of Jesus. In fact, Dave Ramsey, who wrote the Financial Peace University process and plan that we use here in discipling how to manage our finances, said that 15 percent of all the illustrations Jesus gave were on money and possessions. And I think he's right if you check it out. Jesus said more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell. And so this is not an ancillary kind of theme. This is a very, very critical and very important theme to you and me having peace. Peace on this earth and peace for eternity. Now let me just say this from the beginning. This church has always been a very generous church. Many people in our church are literally living by the principles that We're going to talk about today from this sermon of Jesus. And that brings joy. That brings joy to you. That brings joy to me and our church. But understand, peace comes, first of all, from knowing where you are, knowing where you're going, and knowing how we're going to get there. And there are three steps that Jesus gives in this sermon that we want to just pull out today and kind of... uh, interpret interpret for our lives so in matthew chapter 6 beginning with verse 19 storing true treasure brings peace storing true treasure brings peace verse 19 do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal so what is treasure what is jesus talking about when he talks about treasure. I think you will agree that treasure, a treasure is something that you elevate above nearly everything else in life. It's a high priority. It's something that's valuable to you, valuable to your family, valuable to those who around you perceive something of of value. And Jesus reminded us that there are two kinds of treasure. One kind of treasure is earthly treasure, Another kind of treasure is heavenly treasure. So let's break down just for, just for a few minutes the difference between earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. Earthly treasure is temporary. It's called temporal treasure. It can't last. It can be lost. It can be eaten away. And here's the deal. It does create worry. When your focus is on the earth, the earthly treasures, the earthly things, it creates chaos in your life sometimes. It creates worry. How am I going to insure it? How am I going to protect it? How am I going to keep it? How am I not going to lose it? That kind of thing. Eternal treasure, on the other hand, lasts forever. Can't be lost. And in the long run, it brings peace. It brings joy. It brings satisfaction to life. So the primary concern of a follower of Jesus is not amassing great possessions and wealth on this earth. Treasures on earth are not ever secure. Treasures on earth do not last. Treasures on earth kind of end at death. Let me ask you this. Think about it. Have you ever passed a funeral processional going down the road? Have you ever seen a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse? (laughs) Why not? Well, obviously, you can't carry anything with you when you pass the point of death. So Jesus is being very practical here. All earthly treasure is temporal. It can be eaten away. It can be stolen. Moths and rust can eat away at it. Now understand this. Jesus is not saying that we should not provide for our families. Jesus is not saying that we should not provide for our future. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a heart matter. He's not even condemning having valuable things in your home. That's that's not the point at all. He was talking about the attitude toward your treasures. Your attitude toward your valuables. Your attitude toward your wealth. Your money. The Bible is the written Word of God to us. And that's where this story of Jesus is is contained. And the true north that we have as believers in Jesus is this Word of God. It's the Scripture. It's the Bible. It's the written Word of God about the living Word of God. That's our point of reference in life, our our true north. All earthly treasures are temporal. All heavenly treasures, on the other hand, are eternal. So when you're overly concerned about earthly treasures, you lose your peace. You lose your perspective of keeping the focus on loving God with all your heart and putting His kingdom first in your life. There's a better alternative to piling up earthly treasures. And look at it in verse, 30, this verse 20, how Jesus states it. He says, but, transition, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So how do you lay up treasures in heaven? Let's talk about that for just a few minutes. This is, this is about our attitude. Our attitude about our stuff. Our attitude about our possessions. The Bible has a lot to say, for example, about tithing. Tithing is giving the first tenth, which is the first and the best of our income of gifts that come to us, giving through the church the tithe. The word tithe simply means 10%. This symbolizes that you trust God to provide all your needs, that it makes it possible for the eternal gospel to be spread at home and around the world when I'm obediently following God's plan for giving the first 10% of my income to him through his local church. Making Jesus a normal part of our everyday conversations can be a way of laying up treasures in heaven. Some of you are very good at that. People come into your place of work and you're open and willing to share conversation about Jesus. That is laying up and storing treasures in heaven. Making all of life about Jesus can be a way of laying up treasures in heaven. Supporting missionaries both here at home and around the world. Or even going on short-term mission trips. Engaging cultures that are different from our culture with the gospel. Can be a way of storing up treasure in heaven. Sacrificing time to work in a soup kitchen or sacrificing time to repair houses for under-resourced people. Sharing in ministries like prison ministry. Resourcing a Christian adoption agency. Or even a particular child that you're adopting in a foreign culture or maybe even in our culture across the street maybe even adopting a child who without the nurture of a christian home a christian parent would never come to know jesus christ as their personal lord and say all of these are ways that we can store up treasures in heaven could be something as simple as memorizing scripture as a family Where you're putting God's word in your head so when you're squeezed it can come out of your heart. And lead someone to the light of the gospel through a family member that is in that circle that that you enjoy. I I remember my, my, my parents were first generation Christians. None of their family was involved in church before my mom and then my dad trusted Jesus Christ in their early 20s as their personal Lord and Savior. And I treasure the time we sat around a little circle, called it the family altar, where we memorized Scripture together. And we did other things. We played Chinese checkers and games and that kind of thing together as a family. But I'll never forget the Scripture I memorized. Most of the Scripture I quote today comes from when I was seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Because my family was laying up treasures in heaven, beyond here on this earth. So, treasure represents our primary focus. And when we focus primarily on laying up treasures in heaven, that brings peace to our life. Brings peace to our heart. Laying up treasure is like, you know, what is the highest priority in your life? Where do you spend most of your energy? Where do you spend most of your time? Where do you spend most of your money? All of those kinds of things reveal where our true treasure really is. Your heart will tend to be wrapped around your treasure. We're going to see that in very clearly in the message that Jesus is speaking to you and me today. There's always going to be this tension, this tension between our actions and our words. We can say we love Jesus. We can say that He's first place in our life. But the rubber meets the road with our actions, And Jesus was challenging that with some of these people who were sitting in this circle around the sermon that he was preaching here. Jesus exposed those who claimed to value eternity while living as though there was nothing beyond this world. He challenged that kind of attitude and those kinds of actions. And our heart is going to be where our treasure is. So you can't live in peace when you're divided between treasure on this earth and treasure in in heaven. And Jesus draws us like a magnet to keep our focus on eternal treasures rather than these fading earthly treasures that we can't carry past the time that we die on this earth. Your heart, my heart, a reflection of our treasure. So let me ask you this. Is there anything, is there anything that if God asked you to give it up, that you would not be willing to give it up to know and follow Jesus? Jesus told a story about that in, in Matthew chapter 19. You can look it up in verses 16 to 22 of Matthew chapter 19. There was this Rich young man who came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus, first of all, said, Why do you call me good? But then, then Jesus said, Here's what you need to do. You need to keep the commandments. And the young man said, Which ones? I mean, there, there are ten commandments, and there are 613 other laws by this time that have been drawn from the commandments. He said, Which one? And Jesus gave him the bottom half of the ten commandments young man said, I've done all of that. He was a good man. He was a good young man. He said, I've done all of that since my youth. And then, so Jesus looked at him and Jesus said, there's one thing you like. He said, what? He said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. And the Bible says the saddest words in the Bible... The young man lowered his head, turned, and walked away sorrowfully because his heart was in his stuff, in his possessions. That's sad. It's so sad that anyone would choose the things of this world that are going to pass away anyway at the expense of knowing and following Jesus. So let me ask you again, is there anything in your life that's keeping you from making Jesus the highest priority in your life? This young man was a good man according to worldly standards, but his treasure was in the wrong kingdom. I have to ask myself, is my treasure here on this earth or is it in heaven? And I encourage you to ask yourself that same question today. Some of you have been around a while. You've heard me talk about my dog. In fact, there was a time when I talked about my dog too much. My little dog is like 10 to 12 pounds, little Dotson. He's been a family member in our family for 17 years. He's 17 years old. We've had him since he was like three or four weeks old. Brought him home in my front pocket. My dog eats the best dog food that a dog can eat. Chicken soup for the soul. He's always had it. His bowl is always full of food. It's dry food. It's always full. His water dish never goes dry. It's always full of water. He sleeps in the most comfortable bed that any, I mean, any human being in a third world country would die to have the life of my dog. Sleeps in comfortable bedding. In the daytime, I mean, I don't see him much in the daytime, but I watch sometimes walk in and he finds where sun's coming through the window around our house and he stays in those sunny spots. I mean, I mean, he's got it made. That's one world that he lives in, the world that I sort of control. But when my dog goes on a walk, when I take him to the park or I take him up and down the streets around our house, I keep him on a leash. Cause he didn't know danger when he sees it. He doesn't have a respect for automobiles running up, speeding up and down our streets, or big dogs in the park, that kind of thing. So I keep him on a leash. Um, he would prefer to grab some rotten food that somebody's thrown out on the side of the road and eat that. <laughs> rather than the food that I feed him at home. And it always makes him sick when he does that. But that's, I mean, he's a dog, and he's got that nature, that nature of a dog. He'll find some smelly spot that a dog has left, or some animal has left, and he will to roll around in it. I mean, his nature is the nature. He, he lives in two kingdoms. He lives in our kingdom. He lives in the kingdom of the dog world. And there's only one thing that could change that. And... That's what Jesus has done for you and me. He's provided for us the opportunity to live in His best world. His world points toward true north. His world points toward laying up treasures in heaven rather than laying up things on this earth, laying up things that are eternal value rather than things that are rot and and pass away and make uh, stress come into people's lives. And so the choice today is, are we going to lay up treasures on this earth, or are we going to lay up treasures in heaven? Treasures on this earth bring discord and chaos and disharmony. Treasures in heaven bring peace. I don't know about you, but I want to store up treasures in heaven that have lasting, lasting peace. Secondly, verses 22 and 23, walking in light brings peace. Walking in light brings peace. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So Jesus moves to another analogy here. It's a very clear one, a very good one. Jesus pointed to his disciples that just as there are two focuses for treasure on earth, there are two viewpoints that God wants us to understand about how we look at life. Light comes into our life through our eyes. And so we're able to see with our eyes what is safe, what is good, the blessings that God has provided. Good eyes focus on God. Good eyes focus on God's way rather than man's way. Singular focus vision is the mark of a true disciple of Jesus. Now, I struggle with eyesight. I have diplopia. I have double vision. I've had it all my life. One of the nerves, the fifth nerve in my left eye, is dead and can't be restored. I've had surgery twice to take away that double vision and clear up that vision. I know what it's like to have double vision. If you ever see me driving down the road without my glasses on, you better look for the side of the road if I choose the wrong image (laughs) to drive through. Because I could drive right into you and never even know it because of, I mean, I keep glasses with me all the time so that my vision will be focused, my vision will be clear. Bad eyes focus solely on the things of this world, and bad eyes lead us to darkness, lead us away from God. Darkness is leading away from God. Materialism leads to utter darkness in this life and in eternity. And that's why Jesus moved from talking about the treasure on this earth to clear eyesight. Jesus calls us out of darkness into life. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. The Bible says that we're called out of darkness into His marvelous light. There is no better way to have peace in your heart and in your life than by living life God's way. And God's way is very clear. When the focus is Jesus... And the focus is what the Bible calls in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's the way to have peace in our life. Darkness is living without any thought toward God. You probably wouldn't be here today if that was you. But I pray that nobody here today will leave here walking in darkness. Darkness lets rebellion against God rule your practical life. You think about the things of this world without ever even giving any consideration to the things of God. That's walking in darkness. When you put the things of this world ahead of walking with God, Darkness is thinking, I don't have enough to give my money away to the church. That's darkness. Darkness is saying, I trust my ability to know what I need to be happy in life, to be peaceful in life, rather than trusting God's way. Darkness is saying, I have bills to pay, I have needs that I have to meet, I have adventures that I want to go on and experience. I can't afford to give my resources away. That's darkness. That's living in darkness. Jesus, Jesus pointed, gave an illustration about this poor widow woman who had no source of income whatsoever. This is recorded in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus called his disciples and said, Watch, watch people put money in the, in the offering plate. There were people of wealth who were throwing sums of money in there. And this little widow comes along. She's got one penny. Two mites equal to one penny. And she puts it in the offering basket. And Jesus said, That woman gave more than all the other people put together. Why? Because the other people gave out of their abundance. This lady gave... All that she had. Now, here's what this episode in the life of Jesus is not saying. He's not saying for you to put all your money in the offering plate today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying put any money in our offering plate today. I am saying that if you want peace in your heart, your attitude about what you give It's going to come from the light of Jesus shining in your life. And when the light of Jesus is shining in your life, then you you want to give to bless other people with resources that God blesses you with. See, without God blessing you, you wouldn't have anything. Clear vision is not indicated by what you have as much as it is by your attitude about what you have. So if you're living and walking in darkness today, Jesus is calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is not so much about your stuff, your money, as it is about your heart. Have you given your heart to Jesus? If your total focus is on laying up treasures here on this earth, if you never think about God, And you're walking in darkness. And Jesus is calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light today. And that's where God's compass points us toward his true north. Exactly. The journey home to the light starts with realizing where you are. Repenting of living for materialism, living for the things of this world, which means turning away from living for things of this world and saying, God, I want to live for you. I want my light to shine for you. Repenting of your sin, turning to him, saying, God, I want your light to shine in me so that it can shine through me so you can be blessed in other people's lives through my life. So the journey home to the light starts with repentance. So I encourage you today to repent and turn away from darkness, living for our possessions and power and privilege and pleasure, and turn to glorifying God and living for Jesus. Because turning for darkness, it's like, it's like getting your eyes repaired in natural life. It's like not seeing double. It's like seeing one image and it's clear and it's to give glory to God. So when Jesus offers life in the light He's offering us clear vision spiritually. And peace comes from walking in the light with God. Do you have that peace today? Oh how I trust that you do. You can't have that peace which comes with Corrected eyes that can only come through the surgical transformation that Jesus Christ offers. First John chapter one, verse seven said, "If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Listen to this now. And the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us, cleanses us from all sin. See, sin is like having, you know, it's like having acid poured in your eyes. I know that's a painful illustration, but that's what sin does. That's what sin is. It destroys your eyesight. And the Bible says that Jesus wants to give us a healing, a cleansing, a purifying, a surgical treatment transformation from living with double vision, living with unclear vision. And you can have that peace that comes with corrected eyes today by committing your life to walking in the light. So peace is generated by trusting Jesus, first of all, to forgive your sin and to heal you from bad eyes. And clear your eyes to live in the light of His glory, His presence. Finally this morning, serving the right Master brings peace. We've learned not to store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. We've learned to let Jesus give us a new set of eyes for understanding the value of life. And now thirdly... He reinforces and says, serving the right master brings peace. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So he's making the same point. He's just stressing a different area. All of life is a search for peace. Everybody's looking for peace in one way or the other. And conflicting masters destroys peace. When you're, <laughs> It's like having a, a bicycle built for two with the seats and steering wheels pointing in the opposite direction. I mean, you know, you're not going to get anywhere like that in life. And so Jesus calls us to loyalty to Him exclusively. Exclusively. You will serve some master, Jesus said. Some try to serve more than one master and end up in conflict, end up in chaos. Primary allegiance cannot be divided between separate loyalties. 1 Peter chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's where your heart is. The Bible says the love of money is the root of... Of all evil. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. I've suggested it many times. Many of us have read that book. He wrote another book 20 years ago. Called The Treasure Principle. And there are six goals. Commitments. That Randy Alcorn makes through this book. And he summarizes them at the end of this book. With a giving covenant. I just want you to follow with me. As I point out these six Commitments, these six simple commitments in His giving covenant that is totally biblical, totally based on God's Word. Number one, I affirm God's full ownership of me and everything entrusted to me. Here's what that says. <laughs> you were created by God for God. He made you so that you can love Him and follow Him. So have you stepped over that line of faith? Have you given your life to know Jesus and follow Him and make Him the priority of your life? Secondly, I set aside the first fruits. That's the first 10% of my income and my gifts, every wage and gift that I receive. I set aside the first fruits, at least 10%, Understanding that it is holy and belonging exclusively to the Lord. Now, again, first fruits means that I give the best and I give the first of my income and gifts that I receive. Once again, my parents were first generation Christians. I remember when my mom trusted Christ and when my dad trusted Christ. And when they trusted Christ, everything in our world changed. The little church, mission church that we were raised in. Every year on January 1st, the first Sunday, they would give us a box of envelopes. 52 envelopes in that box. And my parents taught me, as they learned along the way as well, that a tithe of every um, money that I earned, and I cut a yard. If I earned $10, I put a dollar in the envelope, so forth. Even an allowance, they gave us every week a little allowance, maybe a dollar or whatever, and I'd put a dime in that envelope. But I learned the principle of tithing as a child, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that. I've had so many blessings come my way because of that faithful commitment. Third, out of the remaining treasure God entrusted me, I seek to make generous free will gifts, and a, a, a free will offering is over and above the ten percent, over and above the tithe. It's where giving to ministries like campus outreach and Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Coastal School Ministries and Good News uh, Clubs and um, you know th- th- those kinds of things, young life summer camps, you know, all these extra things, missionaries, you know, on the, on the farm field and so forth. All of this is over and above the first fruits gifts of, of tithing. And I want to assure you that there is no greater joy in life than taking the blessings God has given and sharing it with other people in ministry, other ministries around the world. I mean, there are going to be people in Africa and Asia, and all around the world, who one day are going to look at you and say, Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord, because your gift has opened up the door for me to be here in heaven today. How could there be any greater joy than that? Fourthly, I ask God to teach me to give sacrificially to His purposes, including helping the poor, and reaching the lost. In other words, there's a, there's a lifestyle of giving away your energy, giving away your time that is as important, not replacing, but as important as giving your money and your resources. Number five, recognizing that I cannot take earthly treasures from this world, I determined to lay them up in heavenly treasures for Christ's glory and the eternal good of others and myself. In other words, How can, rather than just be a receptacle of God's blessings, how can I be a conduit through which God's blessings flow to reach, potentially, with the gospel, every man, woman, and child in Horry County, every man, woman, and child in South Carolina, America, around the world. And then finally... Just remember, too, according to that, somebody asked John D. Rockefeller one time, somebody asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? The accountant shrewdly said, all of it. <laughs> all of it. And that's true. The only thing you're going to leave behind is the legacy that you've left for what you did to honor God with all of your life. And finally, number six, I asked God to show me how to lead others To the present joy and future reward of this treasure principle. There's nothing after salvation that brings joy to the believer's life. Like giving away what God has given you. That begins with salvation, faith issues, as well as resources. I believe that if every believer in our church, every believer in our area would commit to follow what Jesus has just simply asked us to do, and that's think more about the things of heaven than we do the things of earth, that we could radically see our area change for the glory of God. I believe that with all my heart. In conclusion, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Listen to this. The Bible says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, the more you have, the more people are going to be grabbing at what you have, trying to pull it away. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's no peace in the things that we pile up here on this earth. So let me ask you, are you serving the right master? Are you serving the master who brings peace? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now listen, I love sports. I spend a lot of time watching sports. I have to be very intentionally careful not to let sports take mastery over the time and investment that I make in heavenly treasure. It's a challenge. I, I, don't, I don't know what your avocation is, what pulls you in life, in your recreational areas, in your areas where you're not at work or so forth, or maybe when you are at work. But I challenge you to join me in being very intentional, not to let anything take priority over our treasures in heaven Jesus set the example for us you can live in peace by laying up treasure in heaven the focus that Jesus is calling us to is to follow him and what did he do he humbled himself he left heaven he became flesh he became human like you and me he served other people rather than being served, which he deserved. I don't deserve it, but he did. But he submitted himself, humbly submitted himself to serve others. And then he made the major sacrifice. He shed his lifeblood to pay for the penalty of my sin and your sin, and the sin of the whole world. When you came in today in your seat, there was a communion packet. I invite you to take that out right now because that's where we are. Uh, We're at a crossroads this morning. I'd like for you to take the, the bread out of the pack and open up the top of the cup. And as you hold the bread in your hand and hold the cup in your hand, I'd like for you to ask yourself one question. Is there anything in this life that I value more than the body of Jesus, the flesh that Jesus came to become one of us, the form that he took on to become one of us? He became flesh and lived among us, lived a perfect life. And then look at the cup and ask yourself, is there anything I value more than the sacrifice that Jesus, I mean, he sacrificed his life. He gave his blood to pay the price for the penalty of my sin. The night before Jesus was crucified, he looked at his disciples and he said, this bread represents my body. This cup represents my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Jesus said, Remember me until I come. What was he saying? He was saying, Don't let anything else take priority over your walk with me. So as you eat this bread this morning and drink this cup, join me in remembering Jesus until he comes back again. I'd like to ask our worship team to come back to the stage now. and We're going to continue our our time of worship. And as we do that, I'd like for you to prayerfully consider making that commitment of your life, as well as your life resources, to putting Jesus in first place in your life. God, thank you for calling us to know you thank you for calling us to receive light in our life and rather than stumble around and fumble around in this world of darkness living in darkness God help us to commit our lives to trusting you accepting you trusting your plan and joyfully living within your plan to know you and not just to know you but to take the blessings you've given us share those blessings both at home and around the world through just our faithful life commitment to you. Thank you God for calling us to make you the priority of our life. And we continue now in light of that to worship you in Jesus name.